This is New Hampshire's home for sports on ESPN New Hampshire Radio, WGAM, Manchester, WGHM, Nashua. Eventually, though, by Demarius Thomas. That's Blunt. And he's got his 15th rushing touchdown of the season. The pick two return. That's Norwood. Oh, wow. Book it. Book it fumbles. Bill Belichick comes back here today and his team. Especially that defense just dominated the Broncos the last three quarters. We had one touchdown in this game, and it was a one-yard plunge. Yeah, it was good. Uh, you know, it was great feeling. So it was a great uh, team win. I thought it was a pretty good complimentary football defense. Just playing just so great all day, and uh, offensively made some plays. Just didn't make enough to score. Uh, you know, more points than what we had, but uh, it ended up being enough today. And welcome back to the Stretch Run here on ESPN New Hampshire. Jimmy Murphy, your host. Justin Sullivan working the boards. We're scheduled to talk to Mike Giardi at this time of the show from Comcast Sportsnet New England. He has just texted me. He said, oh, sorry, Murph. They extended Pat's locker room availability. I'll probably be here for another 10 minutes. So we will call Mike in about 10 minutes, and we will uh, talk to him for at least five to seven minutes uh, here, hopefully in this segment, talk some Patriots. But Justin and I can talk some Patriots here, and you can join us if you want. 603-883-9900. And the text line, Justin? Uh, good question. Oh yeah, I forgot that I'm already. I know. We're, we're not the text guys. Yeah, here. we're not. We're not exactly. That's a, that's a Christian thing. We're not yeah. exactly the best text guys. Because they changed it. Yes, they did. Correct. Right. They changed the number. They yeah. did change it. So we will have to do that. Our bad on that. But uh, reading a story here uh, in the New York Post. Of course, the Patriots getting ready to play the New York Jets in Foxborough. So uh, Bart Hubbock, who I'm not a big fan of, hmm. he's uh, been very critical of the. Patriots in the past, kind of a pompous guy, if you ask me. But Bart Hubbock of the New York Post was writing that the his headline, Tom Brady isn't main reason for Patriots dominance this season. He makes some very good points. And one of them is that 
for the first time since 2003, a year in which the Patriots won the Super Bowl. Correct. Uh, the Patriots are on pace to finish number one in the league in scoring defense. New England is also in the top 10 in yards allowed. And good luck running on them lately because the Patriots haven't allowed more than 64 rushing yards in their past four games. So giving credit to the defense. Which is fine, and yeah, I think it absolutely. deserves a lot of credit. And you, you've been on this uh, oh, yeah. the last couple of weeks saying, man, dude, don't look now, but this defense is turning they, it, on, they at turn the right it on right at the right time. Yeah. And, and it's true. I mean, this is a defense that was much maligned throughout the season. It was heavily criticized, uh, was called into question. They lost Jamie Collins. Uh, they were missing Sheard for one shipped game. Shipped out two guys. You know, like shipped out Chandler Jones to start the year. Shipped out Chandler Jones to start the year. But there was still, if you remember, Justin, there was still a lot of high hopes for the D coming in, starting the year. Yeah. Despite some of the changes, this is obviously before Jamie Collins. But when Jamie Collins left, it was like, oh my God, it's gonna, it's all on Tom <laughs> yep. Brady's arm. There's what, no what way they do? they're no just way. gonna have to outslug every team, outscore every team. It's a poop fest. It's a poop fest. Yeah. And now. I mean, if you look at it, and it's great for Brady. Absolutely. Because he, he's on the field, Les. You know, this is great. That If you really think about it, how many when the Patriots won the Super Bowl, how many of those teams won a Super Bowl without a good defense? None of them. None. None. You don't. How many teams win a Super Bowl without a good defense? It just doesn't happen. None. So, yes, there was a lot that went on this year. A lot of trades, a lot of movement. But Hightower said it best today. He said it in an interview. Well, take a listen to this. They're, they've got chemistry now. They've got chemistry now. Just growing together, um, you know, a lot of guys that uh, you know we pulled in, um, you know, with uh, you know with Eero and just you know just Eero and Kyle and Shay, you know, a lot of guys that we didn't, we haven't had as much experience to work with in the past couple of years. You know, we finally started to click and got gotten that continuity and um, you know just just we're able we're, we're able to account on one another without actually even you know giving a call or something. We're able to to get that we got that chemistry now. They finally have chemistry. It took them. And you can see it. It took them half a year, but they finally got it. They're finally getting it. They're getting some swagger. And I saw it in the in the Ravens game. They're playing angry. They're playing with a with a purpose now. Before it was like you know people called Jamie Collins up for floating on plays, and even Dante Hightower. They said, "Oh, they're just kind of floating out there." They're playing angry. They're playing with a purpose now. The Logan Ryan pick against Denver is exactly the type of play that I was waiting for somebody nice to make. Nice segue, my friend. Hobbit goes on in his story here, and he says New England has become. A turnover-forcing machine lately, recording eight takeaways over the past month. That's just one shy of the number of turnovers the Patriots had forced in, forced in the season's first ten games combined. So they are a threat out there. They're making the other team turn the ball over. That flood of takeaways, Hubbard continues, is likely to increase this week, too, with the Jets, the league's most gaffe-prone <laughs> team, going into Foxborough. Thanks to the defense, the Patriots can already see that number one seed now. Oh, yeah. That's right, man. And you know what? That's when I love it. That year when they went and they were undefeated and they had yeah. the chance, the perfect season. Yeah, I never felt they were going to do it. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I'm with you. I, I was just in, waiting was for the shooter yeah. drop. I You're was like, you know what? They're not going to win because they don't have defense. Yeah. And sure El- enough, El- 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 that was their downfall. <laughs> you know? And you remember that last game of the season in that year? All right. You go back to that last game of the season. Who did they play and who did they barely beat? In the last game of the 2007 season. That would be the uh, New York Football Giants. <laughs> That's right. And who beat them in a the Super Bowl? Yeah. The New York Giants. Yeah. And by the way, speaking of that, we were talking about that yesterday with Cole Wright. Well, uh, my good friend Jason Wolf used to run WEI. You can follow him on Twitter, at Jason Wolf. He just tweets 43 seconds ago, can't help but thinking we're looking at Pat's Giants <laughs> 3 
in Super Bowl ah, 51. There it, there it is. Gabe was saying it too. Gabe was, or Gabe and Cole were both saying, you know, what's the one team you want to avoid if you're a Patriots fan? Absolutely, it's the Giants. I want nothing to yeah. do with the Giants, even if they're mediocre. I still want nothing. I mean, to, I would, I would I still love to see the to Patriots get that revenge, but, but no, I'm good. At the, I'll pass. Yeah. You know, it's not it's not worth another Super Bowl. I'll, I'll pass on that. I'd rather not see them. I'd rather so, not see them. So, Ryan Hannibaly, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right, at Ryan Hannibaly, he's uh, from WEI.com. He is uh, saying Danny, Danny Amendola was spotted in the locker room just now for the first time since his injury. He had a walking boot on his right foot. All right. Here's the thing. Now, I know I'm on record Plenty of times on this show yes. when he got hurt and then with the Cyrus Jones issues in that um, – what game did he uh, – in the money? Ravens. The Ravens, yeah. The Ravens, Okay. Yeah. So after that, I was like – but, I mean, you know, they're making the right move, not putting Edelman back there. Now, as you pointed out – He's fired up. <laughs> he's involved. Yeah. For he's some fired reason, up. Not that he's not, he's not involved already and yes. he's not fired up already. But he seems to play better overall. Yeah, he gets more involved. He when he's the punt returner. You know, he gets more involved early. He gets involved and he gets in a couple. I mean, the scrums. You heard him on the sidelines dropping the, uh, the nice F-bomb there. Like, when he's involved and he's being himself and being chippy, it translated to more plays on the offensive side of the ball. It translated to him shredding a couple guys on, on defense, getting inside the zone and making some plays. So, yes, in the beginning of the year, take him off the field. I don't want him on the field for punt returns. But when we get into this time of year, when we get in the late into the year, I like an involved Julian Edelman. I like, to, I like a fired-up Julian Edelman. Not that he's not fired up in the beginning of the year or for any game, but when he's involved early, when he's involved in these punt returns, he's jawing with people. He's jawing with Tlaib. He's jawing with Ward. He's a different player. He's just a different player. He's just a, a different type of guy when he's involved and, and fired up. And it showed in Denver. He... he basically took the punt return on the sidelines, dropped an F-bomb on T.J. Ward, and the next series was a key part of that series, down, driving him down the field to score. So as much as you want to protect your guys, and it's careless to have him out there week one, but this late in the year, I'd rather him ramping it up here. I'd rather him get involved and start to ramp it up yeah. in the playoffs because you're going to need him. You absolutely need him. You know, And I, I, like, I like an involved Julian Edelman at this time of year. Yeah, yeah. And the thing is, you're going to see more of it because the Patriots are forcing teams to punt so much. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah, so, with the defense. You know, uh, like we said yesterday, Patriots are 16.5-point favorites. Ugh. Last I checked. I don't know. I'll check it again that now. That scares me. <laughs> uh, going into this game with the Jets. But the Jets are bad. And, and now are you hearing uh, – well, as of now, it's – what's his name? Starting. It's not Petty. Oh, it's Fitzpatrick? No, the other dude. The rookie. Oh, uh, Hackenberg. Is Hacken, it ha- it has to be Hackenberg. How do you say it? Hackenberg. 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 Has to like be Hackenberg. Hackensack, New Jersey. Yeah, Hackenberg. Exactly. Hackenberg. Okay. From Penn State, yes. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> right? Right? So that doesn't look that bad right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not to get cocky, but that, no, no, that, that's a reasonable that, spread. That looks pretty good. That looks pretty good. Yeah, it's just the, the Jets are a mess. The Jets are a mess. They're, they're, they're becoming the Jets again, which is great for us because I love, I love slamming on the Jets. I really do. But yeah, that looks like if that's gone up. Yeah. That 16 and a half. By the way, uh, bad, speaking of you right said now. the Eagles are playing Thursday night football. It's the Giants. Yeah. It's the Giants. The Giants. Yeah. And I'm, I've already made my In pick. Philly, and they're only two and a half point favorites in Philly. Now, Check. Philly did give Baltimore a battle last week. Yes, they did. But, but the Giants. The Giants are a different team. They're rolling, man. The Giants are a different team. That defense, nice that defense is unreal. Yeah. And as long as Odo Beckham's having fun and involved and not crying about, you know, not being involved in plays and not having fun, and it's the no fun league. As long as he's involved, which he's been the last couple weeks. They got a pretty good team. They do. Yeah. 
As people can slam Eli Manning and slam that offense, but as long as those two are connecting, you're going to have some touchdowns put up. So I'm all over the Giants. You could pick it in. You could put it in now for two days from now. I'm I'm on the Giants on that Thursday night game. Hmm. All right, I'm already in. Uh, by the way, two games we're trying to figure it out on Christmas. This will be a good one. Christmas Day, 4:30 p.m. The Baltimore Ravens in Pittsburgh. Ooh, that's a good one. That is it's a good always one. a great game. That's and then good. this is a great one. Christmas night, 8:30. Mm. Arrowhead Stadium. <laughs> Love night games in Arrowhead yeah, in the winter, of course, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Oh my god, I want to go to one. I, I think would, that's going go on Arrowhead. a bucket list. I just want to go to Arrowhead. I just want to be there. I want to go to Arrowhead. I want, but I, I got it. It's got to be a night game or or four twenty five. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yep. I the sun's got to be coming down. At yes, least. of course. I got you. All right, Chiefs and Donkeys. Ooh. <laughs> Sunday night, Christmas night, eight thirty. So I'm gonna have to squeeze. <laughs> I'm probably going to miss the Ravens Steelers because I'll be in my turkey coma at that point. Yeah, of course. Yeah. You know, wake up and watch the Donkeys and that's, Chiefs. That's pretty good. One. And then Monday Night Football, the Lions at the Cowboys. Mm, the Some boys. good football coming. Out. But other than Buccaneers, <sighs> Saints, I'm looking at the schedule this week. Not much. It's a, uh, that's it. Poop fest. It's a poop fest. That's <laughs> right. So, um, yeah, but the Patriots uh, hosting the Jets. And we will try and track down Mike Giardi right now. Um, you know, we said it before. We talked about it the last time they played the Jets, and it turned out to be a great game. That sometimes, because it's a rivalry, you can throw the records out the door. But like I'm saying to Sully right now, I just, I don't know. I don't, I don't think this is one of those times. Poop fest. I, I just, I, I don't think the Jets have a chance. Really. I mean, this is going to, this could be really ugly. And, of course, the Patriots with a win and a Raiders loss who are at home to the Colts on Sunday. Uh, so a Raiders loss to the Colts and a Patriots win seals the number one seed overall. And then you can start resting people. That yeah. would be nice. Take care of that and then. Uh... No Mike Giardi. Oh, yeah. So no Mike Giardi? No. That's all right. We'll get Mike on another time. There's no worries with that. Uh, We're going to talk baseball, though, in our next segment. We can talk a little Patriots as well because Mike Shalen is pretty much – we were talking about reporters being on the road and athletes and all this and, you know, not seeing your family. Mike Shalen (laughs) is literally – Everywhere. At every Boston (laughs) sports event there is covering it somehow. If there's two going on at once – He's there. He'll be at the first (laughs) half of one and the second half of the other. He figures it out. Yeah. It's insane. And he's been working forever for the Associated Press. Of course, you can see him locally in the Manchester Union Leader. And uh, he also works with uh, Sports Exchange. So we will talk to Mike Shalen about the Clay Buckles trade, the Patriots, and some Bruins in NHL because he's a big hockey fan as well. And he's from the New York area. He might be able to give us some good insight on the Islanders. So stay with us here. I'm Jimmy Murphy. That's Justin Sullivan, a stretch run on ESPN New Hampshire. We'll be back.
Stretch Run with Jimmy Murphy. Weekdays from 3 to 6 right here on ESPN New Hampshire. An ESPN Radio Extra Point with Dan Levitard and Stu Gatz. Jameis Winston, I'd have a hard time trusting him with my future. He led the league yesterday in getting a penalty for headbutt. It was so stupid. It's the behavior you never see out of a quarterback. Oh, Gus Farad. Gus Farad. That's yeah. right. Oh, Gus Farad. Thank you. No, good. Racial slurs quarterback. Yeah, good check. Doesn't Tom Brady do some of that, the headbutting? I feel like Brady no, does. I'm talking about getting a penalty for it. He headbutted an opponent because he was mad at how the opponent was treating Doug Martin. And, and he, like, pretended like he wasn't headbutting it. Like, he headbutted him, realized it, he did something wrong, he headbutted him, and then he pretended right in front of the ref like he was just trying to help Doug Martin up. It was awful. I, I, I would say it's the worst cover-up in Jameis Winston's career, but, yeah, not really. America, it's time for some straight talk. There is no good way to fold a fitted sheet. Nobody really likes kale. And those wireless companies offering no contract plans? Surprise! To get a new phone could mean getting locked into a phone contract. With new Straight Talk Plus, well-qualified customers can get a Samsung Galaxy S7 for as low as $30.12 a month. Requires a 30-day unlimited service plan, still no contract, so you can cancel any time with no penalties. Come on, it's time to realize the runaround. It's time to ask yourself, why haven't I switched? Straight Talk Wireless, on America's largest, most dependable networks, only at Walmart. Lease to own transaction for the Samsung Galaxy S7. Total cost is $722.88 with 24 30-day payments plus any taxes and fees except in North Carolina where final payment may be more. No ownership until all payments made. May be able to exercise early purchase option. Retail cost of the Galaxy S7 is $599, subject to change. Customers may end lease and return phone at any time. Wireless service subject to Straight Talk terms and conditions. The Patriots play the Jets in New York in a special Saturday Christmas Eve day game. Kickoff is at 1 p.m. This is ESPN New Hampshire's Pete Terrier wishing everyone a happy holiday and inviting you to join me for an afternoon of fun, prizes, and football with Coors Light at the Wild Rover Pub in downtown Manchester. The Rover is a Manchester institution, and it's a great place to watch the Pats. You can order something delicious to eat and wash it down with an ice-cold Coors Light. Cheer on the Pats at the Wild Rover Pub, 21 Kosciuszko Street, downtown Manchester. Christian and King. One game? Yeah, one game was ridiculous. One? It was ridiculous. You got ripped when you gave Ray Rice two. two. Now you're going to give this guy one? Yeah, no, it's just... And What's this guy? Yeah, this guy's really bad. Josh Brown's ex-wife told police of over 20 physically violent yes. instances. Police were called on multiple occasions to the Browns residents in Washington State, St. Louis, and New Jersey over the years. Ooh, three states, come on. Weekdays, noon to three, on ESPN New Hampshire Radio. And streaming live on ESPNNHradio.com. Which is worse, a trip to the hospital or the fees and bills that come with it? At the Bedford Ambulatory Surgical Center, they provide a comfortable and friendly environment while offering high-quality imaging for open MRI and low-dose CAT scans and ultrasounds, all at an affordable price. Their modern technology allows for accurate diagnosis while ensuring complete patient comfort and safety. For more information or to set up an appointment, please call 603-622-3670 or visit bedfordsurgical.com or baskimaging.com. Hi, I'm Liz. Welcome to Lowell Jewelry and Loan. The economy is pretty rough right now, and if you're looking for a short-term loan, banks aren't making it any easier. Sometimes it can take up to 60 days to get approved. That's crazy! We truly are in the business to lend money and put cash in your hands instantly. Bring in any item and we'll give you cash. We also give you four months before making your first payment. Call or come see us today. Our reputation is impeccable. Lowell Jewelry and Loan. 
on Merrimack Street. TrySofi.com is the smart, easy way to save money on your student loans. Now they want you to know about the smart, easy way to save money on your credit card debt. That's with a TrySofi.com personal loan. If you're hardworking, in a good job, and have great credit, but you have credit card debt, a TrySofi.com personal loan with their low fixed rates and no fees is the smart alternative to credit cards. The national average interest rate on credit cards is over 15%. In most cases, you can cut your interest rate in half with SoFi. Find out how much you can save by going to trysofi.com. That's T-R-Y-S-O-F-I.com. SoFi lends up to $100,000. Checking your rate will not affect your credit score. Go to trysofi.com. That's T-R-Y-S-O-F-I.com for low fixed rate personal loans with no application or origination fees. Terms, conditions, and state restrictions apply. California Finance Lender Law License Number 6054612. NMLS Number 1121636. Be a part of the conversation and call in at 603-883-9900. You're listening to 1250 Manchester, ESPN, New Hampshire. One and two to count on Nick Cake is two down in the ninth. All zeros tonight for Baltimore. Curveball. The one-two pitch. He struck him out. Clay Buchholz has thrown a no-hitter in Boston tonight. And it sends Fenway into a frenzy. And my time was running wild A million dead-end streets And every time I thought I got it made It seemed the taste was not so sweet So I turned myself to face me But I've never caught a glimpse How the others must see the faker I'm much too fast to take that test Ch-ch-ch-changes Turn and face the strange Ch-ch-changes Don't wanna be a richer man Welcome back to the Stretcher on here on ESPN New Hampshire. Jimmy Murphy, your host, Justin Sullivan, working the boards. Uh, more changes for the Red Sox pitching rotation as they ship out longtime Red Sox Clay Buckholtz to the Philadelphia Phillies in exchange for minor leaguer, second baseman slash DH, Josh Tobias, likely to never play a game in Fenway. Wait, what? Uh, this as many are saying, and I would agree with them, appears to be a salary dump in light of the moves the Red Sox have made over the last month. And on to talk about that right now with us is our good friend, Mike Shalin. You can find him in the Associated Press, Sports Exchange, Manchester Union leader. He's all over the place, and he is joining us now here. Mike, Merry Christmas, my friend. Same to you, Mark. Good to be with you. Good to have you on. And uh, what do you think of this uh, deal? Salary dump, as everyone is saying? Well, I'll tell you, I heard something kind of scary coming in. I'm at, actually at the TV Garden right now, but I heard somebody said that the Red Sox were paying his salary, and I, I can't nope. believe that. No, story. no, it's confirmed. So Philly's is, picking it up. Yeah. yeah. So I think basically what, you, what you've done here is 
uh, Buckholz salary now transfers to Chris Sale. Yeah. And and there's no, you know, there's no reason there was no reason not to move him. Um, there was a you know they said well you can never have too much pitching you can you can when an extra guy's costing you thirteen and a half million dollars and they do have the three guys in the minors they still have six starters um, so I think that this was you know, finding somebody to to take Buckholz off their hands was you know I thought the Houston Astros might have been a good spot for him <clears throat> excuse me but um, uh, this is uh, this is a win win and it's just hard to believe that you know. That no hitter was nine years ago, and uh, you know I was I scored that game, and it was I think it was his second game in major league, and it's been a long and very uh, I guess securitous securitous route to where we are now, uh, but um, all in all, you know I think you have to give Clay Buckholz stay in Boston a straight C, very very average right down the middle. Yeah, and it was sort of, you know, it was always one extreme or the other, right? I mean, it was he was either really good or he was really bad, uh, or he was hurt. And I, I, right. I think that's the biggest thing, the latter, is the durability, I think, that plagued him so much here in Boston. Um, but as we were saying earlier in the show, Mike, you know, you look at the tail end of last season, he was one of the better pitchers, uh, arguably better than the likes of David Price uh, down mm-hmm. the stretch there. Um, your thoughts on him going forward? I mean, he's going to a team that's obviously in transition, but can he ever find some consistency and maybe carry the momentum he had uh, at the end of last season? Well, you remember that one year when he had the great start and um, was the best pitcher in the American League for the first half of the season, and then he got hurt, and then you didn't see him again. This is the story of uh, you know Clay Buckholz's career. But now I think he's in a an enviable situation because, first of all, he's going to a bad ballpark. Let's throw that in there. And Philly is a, it's a launching pad, but when he's pitching well, he'll pitch. You know, he'll pitch well. The Phillies, what they've done is they've brought in a group of, of players uh, who are in the final year of their contract and can either be wildly successful in Philly, they could be moderately successful in Philly, or they could be disasters in Philly. Either way, if they're disasters. See you later. If they're not, then July 31st comes around and Clay Buckholz could find himself right in the middle of the pennant race. If he's hot, they can they can trade him to somebody as another means of building their future. So yep. this is uh, this is this is one of the things that that building teams have started to do, and that that is amass this this one year talent to where there's really there's really nothing to lose. You know they've got they've got Buckholz and Hellickson up at the top of uh, the rotation, veteran wise. And both of them could be could be traded off for three, four, or five prospects come July thirty first. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And now you know the talk will switch. I mean, you think likely he was penciled in as the fifth starter here in Boston, and now people will try and figure out that rotation once again. Who do you see sliding into that spot? Well, I didn't have him in that spot anyway. Oh, so you didn't? Wow. No, no. I mean, I, I got the I had the three lefties and. Um, Porcello and Rice. That, that's my five, and okay. I, I I had I had Pomeranz going to the bullpen. In fact, I think I even mentioned in today's column. I don't even think I put Buckle's name in there because I didn't expect him to be here. Yeah. So um, yeah, I think Pomeranz is probably best suited for the bullpen because he's left-handed. Uh, I'm not sure he won't be traded if they get the opportunity, um, but I think that that um, 
to me, it's 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 the three lefties. Uh, you know, people tend to forget about Stephen Wright because he was hurt at the end of last year, through no fault of his own. But uh, you know, he was an all-star pitcher. You know, and Porcello was a Cy Young winner. So then you've got Price and and Sale, and of course Rodriguez. So I think that's the that was that was the five for me, and I believe that it was the five for them. I don't think, in other words, they they put that you know they. Every team has a big board with with nameplates on it. I don't think Clay Buckholz's name was among the starting five. Okay, and you bring up Stephen Wright. He's an interesting guy. I mean, we all know kind of everybody points to uh, when they when he was put in as a pinch runner as a downfall uh, of his season last year. He had been on a roll. Um, yep. What do you think of him coming in right now? You think he makes a comeback and, and finds some of that magic he had going in the first half? Well, why not? You know, I mean, he's a good pitcher. You know, and, and uh, uh, the injury was kind of fluky, and and unless he's unless he's hurt, I don't. You know, but again, anytime you're dealing with a knuckleballer, you just don't know really what you're going to get. Not only season to season, but start to start. Mm-hmm. So if he can come out and throw like he did last year, I mean, he was he was magic. You know, and and uh, and uh, his control was impeccable. So I I think uh, you know he's. He's perfectly logical, but again, if he comes in and he's hurt, you do have Pomerantz, you do have the uh, the three guys in the minors, uh, uh, Eliaj. I call him Eliaj for the hockey, but <laughs> <laughs> Elias, Elias, I guess Elias, Elias, I guess maybe. And uh, you've got um, the Penny kid, um, Henry Owens. Yep. And you got and you've got Johnson. So, I mean, there's plenty to fall back on, you know. Plus, there's tremendous resources for them to go out and get help if they need it, but moving Buckholz keeps them under that, that uh, money thresh- threshold and gives them a little bit, I believe, a little bit of flexibility to going out and get somebody at the trade deadline if they need somebody. Yeah, it's going to be interesting there, and quickly before we leave the Red Sox talk, because I do want to talk a little hockey with you. You referenced, you made your hockey reference there. Um, looking at the lineup right now, uh Moreland they bring in there, right? And he can play both DH and first base. Do you envision him being the first baseman when the season starts, or you think uh, they'll go back to Hanley? After he had some really good success there, surprisingly, uh, despite what people thought coming into last season. Well, Hanley's feelings aside, Moreland is a gold glove first baseman. And if you got a, if you got the choice between a gold glove first baseman and a DH who did okay at first base. Then Moreland's your first baseman. Yeah, Moreland can also play the outfield. He can play right field for you in the pitch, or obviously left field. Um, I think if Hamley's on board, and you know he's always said he wanted to be a DH. Uh, if Hamley, if Hamley is on board, then I think Moreland is your first baseman. Well, it will be interesting to see what happens, and I agree with you there. Uh, let's talk some hockey, and we, we've had Joe Haggerty on already. We're going to talk to Andy Graziano of Sportsnet New York uh, later, and you're there right now to cover the Boston Bruins and the New York Islanders. I want to shift over to that Islander side uh, of the game here. And you're from the New York area there, Mike, and, and you were around, I, I believe, you, were you down there during the dynasty years? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so you know how great it was. And there is a solid fan base still for the New York Islanders there. And I'm sure you followed from afar uh, the mess that has become that organization, both on and off the ice, and, and specifically as of late with their whole uh, – you know, home rink situation. They move to Brooklyn. They go into a rink that turns out to be not made for hockey at all. It hasn't gone well there at Barclays Arena. 
now you turn around and you see uh, that the old Nassau Coliseum got a facelift. They're looking, looking a little more Morton there. Uh, and then there's talk that the Islanders might move into a, a stadium, not an arena not yet built, but a new location over by um, the the Mets Stadium there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah in, in the parking lot there. So what's your thoughts on that mess that's going on with them? Well, I mean, Mets is a good word for it. You know, uh, um, the people, this goes back to uh, the people of Nassau County. I think I heard a, a statistic that that the share that the that the public was going to have to pay for a new arena out there would have come out to like thirty eight dollars a year on their taxes, and and when you when you balance that against the number of jobs, not only the jobs that the construction of the arena would have would have provided, but also the the jobs in the in the arena itself, in the restaurants around the area, that was a that was a hopping place. I mean, I, I cut my teeth in the National Coliseum. As far as uh, you know, this profession is concerned, and it was there was always some place to go out after games, and, and it was on it was on Long Island, but it wasn't ridiculously on Long Island. It wasn't that far, and um, you know it's it's unfortunate what's happened, and, and suddenly this uh, flushing thing came came into the picture. In fact, I think if I'm not mistaken, they redid the National Coliseum, but without enough seats. Mm-hmm. I don't think. I don't think they can come back in the NHL, so I think it's either Brooklyn with bad ice. They've had bad ice day one. There is no press box. People, you sit, you sit in the stands uh, with, with a desk, and and uh, there are seats that people are paying seventy five or eighty dollars for behind the net. But if you sit back, you can't see half the ice. So something's got to be done, and I I believe that flushing becomes a very viable solution for. Them. And, and how I mean. What are we looking at for a timetable there? Well, I mean, obviously you got to build an arena, so you got to be talking two, three seasons out anyway. So you'd have to get you'd have to get by in Brooklyn for that amount of time. You know, this this, this Brooklyn site, it's just interesting how politics works. This Brooklyn site goes back to the Brooklyn Dodgers. Uh-huh. That's where that's where the Dodgers were going to build at the at the, uh, the meeting of the subway and the Long Island Railroad, and and uh, there was a. A guy named Robert Moses who was running about eleven or twelve different agencies in New York, and he blocked the Dodgers from building there uh, because he wanted he was in charge of New York expanding out to Queens and then out to Long Island. And this is around the time that the that they were getting ready to build all the highways in New York. So all this stuff connected together, and the end result was the Dodgers left and took the Giants with them because the Giants were not drawing at the Polo Grounds. The Dodgers left Ebbets Field, which was in disrepair, wanted to build a new stadium right there in, in Flatbush. And, you know, it, it's, a, it's a very interesting political story. Uh, if, you, if you ever get a chance to Google this guy, Robert Moses, he, he basically ran New York City without being the mayor. And, <laughs> uh, and this is what it's trickled down all the way to this now. The Barclay Center, which, which every, from all reports, is outstanding for basketball. They've brought in all kinds of doubleheaders, and they Thanks to North Carolina's tomfoolery with their bathroom law, they have the ACC tournament there this year. You know, it's, it's a basketball, boxing, and and, and um, uh, concert paradise. But it's not a hockey arena. They're going to have to do something about it. Yeah, it's going to be interesting there to see what happens. Hey, uh, Mike, always a pleasure, my friend. Enjoy Renee Rancourt's Christmas caroling tonight, all right? 
Oh, I live, I live for it every year, bro. You know that. <laughs> All right, buddy. You have yeah. a good one, man. And hey, you and your family have a great Christmas, okay? You too. All right, it's Mike Shalen joining us here. Love the New York insight and history he can give us there. Told you he'd be able to help us with that. And uh, we will talk more about the Islanders, uh, not this coming segment, uh, but at 5.05 with Andy Graziano of Sportsnet New York. And a reminder, too, speaking of the Islanders and Bruins, we have that game live on the air for you here on ESPN New Hampshire. We will pick up the broadcast at 7 p.m., but before that, from 6 to 7, you can hear the ESPN New Hampshire Bruins pregame show here on ESPN New Hampshire. And we will replay the interview we did with Joe Haggerty and also the one we're going to do with Andy Graziano. But stay with us now. We're going to talk some Celtics here in a stretch run. We'll be back. I saw three ships come sailing in on Christmas Day, on Christmas Day. I saw three ships come sailing in on Christmas Day in the morning. And what was in those ships all three on Christmas Day, on Christmas Day? And what was in those ships all three on Christmas Day in the morning? I Savior Christ and His Lady on Christmas Day, on Christmas Day. I Savior Christ and His Lady on Christmas Day in the morning. You're listening to the home of New England sports on 1250 Manchester. It's ESPN New Hampshire. Now one, two, three, four... try to hurt him. I'm just happy he's okay and not doesn't have a broken nose or anything. Nice pass by Thomas. And Crowder drops a three. Isaiah's had some terrific passes of late. West team basketball at his finest. Celtics moving the basketball. And that's going to lead to open guys making open shot. We both will be received at Graceland. Back to tell me she's gone. Oh, what a gem I found there. Putting together the music for the show today. And like I said in the beginning of the show, with the whole Memphis Memphis theme, the Celtics in Memphis tonight to face the Grizzlies. Uh, plenty of music to choose from when it comes to Memphis-related music or sound. Uh, and obviously, Graceland is located in Memphis, and this is one of my favorite Paul Simon tunes, and to find him singing a duet with Willie Nelson, wow. That is some music right there, my friend, and the Celtics are hoping to make some music of their own tonight against the uh, best 
defensive-rated team in the NBA, in the Memphis Grizzlies. And on to talk about that right now is our good friend Patrick Gilroy of ESPN New Hampshire. Mr. Gilroy, Merry Christmas to you and yours. Merry Christmas, uh, Mr. Murphy. How's life treating you? Not too shabby at all. And uh, I see the Celtics are going up against uh, the league's top defensive team, uh, the the Memphis Grizzlies. And another thing is uh, they pointed out on Celtics.com today is that this Grizzlies team plays at a very slow pace. And it's not necessarily that uh, that hurts them. It's more they, they do it on purpose and they try to drag the other team down. And they beat you down physically. In hockey, we like to call those a heavy game or a heavy team. Uh, in basketball, what do they call that? We call it the 1988 New York Knicks. Uh, <laughs> you, you know, that's that's who the NBA will never return to the late 80s, early 90s. Pat Riley beat him down. Charles Oakley type of type of basketball that will never happen again. Uh, at least I don't think in the next 20 or 30 years. However. This is as close to what the NBA can do when it comes to you know trying to trying to disrupt what other teams do. It's an offensive league right now. Offensive stars are born, it seems, every minute. You've never seen better uh, point guard play, play, better shooting guard play throughout the entire league. Uh, offense is at a premium, and guys are stepping up and performing. Um, it wasn't too long ago that that scores were often in the late eighty, you know, eighty-eight, eighty-nine to, to ninety-two was the final score of a game. That those days are long gone now. The NBA has done a great job um, sort of getting the casual fan back through offense. And Memphis is totally disregarded that, that track, that trajectory that the NBA has been on. And they are winning games on the defensive side of the floor, and they're doing it by being a good front court team, an intimidating type of team where you think twice before going to the basket against the Grizzlies. Mm-hmm. Um, they're really playing an, an older school style of basketball. And thus far through a quarter of the season, it's really worked for them. And what do the Celtics do to counter that? Because obviously they're not as physical as uh, they would like to be, but they're not as physical as the Grizzlies. So how do they counter that? What strengths do they have uh, that they can overcome that physicality on the other side? Well, there's been some some improvement in recent weeks. Uh, you know, I, I feel like for the first month and a half of the season, every time we spoke, we talked about the Celtics' deficiencies when it came to defense and rebounding the basketball. And if you look at the, the latest data from the last two weeks of play, the Celtics have been among the league's best when it comes to rebounding the basketball and overall defensive play, defensive rating, much more in line with what it was last year. Um, so, you know, that tells you that the Celtics' best chance of winning tonight is rebounding the basketball on the defensive end and getting out in space and dictating the tempo of the game, using the speed and athleticism of their backcourt, Avery Bradley, Isaiah Thomas, Jay Crowder, uh, a, a very quick sort of swing man, a 3-4. He can interchange. Using their athleticism, I think, sort of counter counterbalancing, counteracting what Memphis does Potentially, you'll see some small ball out there featuring Al Horford at the power forward, uh, Jay Crowder at the four, uh, a really a smaller lineup that allows them to dictate the pace and let Memphis try and play the Celtic style versus the Celtics trying to beat Memphis at their own game. That's probably not going to work. The Celtics are too deficient in the front court. Uh, they don't they don't have the bodies, the defensive minded bodies to sort of uh, to hold their own in the front court if they get sucked into a grizzly style of play tonight it's just not going to work that will be interesting uh as of late who's a player to you that's sort of come on and found his game and is really uh playing a pivotal role for them who's somebody that stood out to you for the celtics 
I mean, look, the obvious names are Jay Crowder. His numbers have really rebounded well here uh, in recent weeks. He's actually shooting a better percentage than he was last year. And you see how instrumental he is to the Celtics' overall game, especially on the offensive end. We know what he's going to give you defensively. He's a defensive stalwart out there. He's always going to give you his best. But the Celtics are at their best offensively when Crowder is able to connect regularly on the three-pointer get to the hole using that athleticism and really being an instigator on the offensive end. But a guy we don't talk about enough out here, a guy we don't give enough credit to is Terry Rozier. Terry Rozier has, he's never going to blow doors when it comes to uh, the overall numbers. You know, when you look at the box score, he's not going to be a 26 point outburst, frankly, because he doesn't get the minutes to do it, Mm -hmm. but he's become a reliable offensive weapon, which is something that Brad Stevens has really needed. Uh, Look, Marcus Smart has played better of late offensively. We know his deficiencies on the offensive end. The Celtics at times you know, rely on Marcus Smart to do everything else, to be a, a sort of a dirty instigator type of player. And that's, that's incredibly important to the overall success of this team. But sometimes the Celtics really lack is the ability to put the ball in the basket. It's, it's so elementary. It's what this game is all about. But occasionally they desperately need other guys that can do that. Terry Rozier was one of those guys that if you listen to my show in the preseason, if you watch the Summer League, going into the season, there was increased expectations and hype around Rozier's ability to fill it up. And I think in recent weeks, he's shown flashes of that ability, and it certainly helped the Celtics here, especially in the last couple of games. And we know that you know they've they dealt with some injuries, they've dealt with some inconsistent play up and down, but Brad Stevens, uh, as he always does, sort of, not, I, I think passive is much too strong a word, but sort of took the uh, the road less traveled, kept it in-house, whatever he might be saying to them, never really called them out. Um, they're turning it around a bit right now. They're winning. Does some of that go to him right now in the way he handled uh, the ups and downs early on? Well, he didn't let this team sort of implode onto itself, which is something that can happen. Um, when you're losing, especially losing in the fashion that the Celtics lost, which was you know, essentially staying with the team through three and a half quarters and, and imploding in the final four or five minutes of a game, that can certainly take its toll on an NBA team, especially when it happens game over game, night over night, and there seems to be no way out. So, so yes, Brad does deserve credit for, for keeping these guys believing in the bigger picture, believing in the fact that when they are whole and, and the team that they anticipated being their team is healthy and on the floor together, they're a force to be reckoned with. All that being said, I think also, Jimmy, what really helped was the fact that the Eastern Conference is incredibly mediocre right now. If you look at the conference standings right now, you know, one through eight, essentially, you've got your separation with Cleveland and Toronto, 19 and 6, 19 and Mm 8. But then you have Boston, despite all their difficulties, all their problems, third place in the conference right now. Home court advantage at the playoffs started today, only three games over 500. But then you go... Charlotte fourth, Milwaukee fifth, New York sixth, Chicago seventh, Indiana is in eighth place. They're 15 and 14. They are tied in the win column with the Celtics. So because the Eastern Conference is so mediocre and the parity that the NBA desperately wants to keep all these fans and all these markets and cities involved, the parity is really showing itself in the Eastern Conference. The Celtics have been able to sort of maintain their standing at uh, you know near the top of the conference despite having all of these injury problems. And I think the proof is in the pudding. If you look at the three-headed monster of uh, Al Horford, Isaiah Thomas, and Jay Crowder, mm-hmm. when the three of them have an op- had an opportunity to play together, the Celtics are 11-3 and three on the season. Wow. All right, it, 
So, so I think that is what you need to look at if you're a Celtics fan. They are close to an elite team when their elite players are healthy and playing together. And it will be interesting to see how that goes on for the rest of the season, if they can maintain that health. And, yeah, I mean, you can't argue it. I mean, the, the, the chemistry is there when those guys are on the court together. Uh, quickly, before we let you go, I was reading a story where an NBA scout uh, was talking about Brown and saying how smart he is and that he thinks he really has the ability to be a superstar in this league. Your thoughts early on on him. Do you agree with that assumption? I think we've seen flashes, and, and there certainly is, is that the potential is there, and this is more than just a couple of great dunks. Saying, wow, maybe someday he could be great. We've seen enough flashes to know that this guy can play the game at this level, but I think what's interesting, Jimmy, is I think the more you see of Brown as the season goes along, the lower the Celtics' expectations for themselves that they have. Because, again, when you play a rookie extended minutes, you're not trying to win basketball games, improve your, your place in the standings, and ultimately compete in the NBA playoffs. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Well, listen, Pat, you have a great holiday, my friend, and uh, we'll talk to you down the line, all right? Merry Christmas, Jimmy. All right, that's Pat Gilroy of ESPN New Hampshire. Join us here in the stretch run the next hour. We're going to go back talk some hockey. We'll look at the Islanders' side of things and the Bruins-Islanders matchup tonight at TD Garden as we welcome on Andy Graziano of Sportsnet New York and Islanders Point Blank in our next segment. So stay with us. The Stretch Run will be back.